Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. To our team for leading us this morning, that was fantastic, lots of energy. Um, great to see everyone here today. Everybody doing okay? Good, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, we are actually in the third week of about a 10-week study in which we're walking through a New Testament letter called First Thessalonians. Now, I don't have time to do all the background that we've done in the past couple of weeks. I will direct you to, we have a podcast, and on our website you can catch up on messages if you'd like to kind of go back and backtrack. Uh, But today, let me just simply say this. This particular letter, which is found in the New Testament, was written by uh, Paul the Apostle and his partner in ministry, Silvanus, also called Silas. And these two individuals were traveling with a young man named Timothy, who was an apprentice to Paul. And they had actually traveled to the Greek port city of Thessalonica. And while they were there, they told first the Jews and then Greeks who were living in the city about this man named Jesus. This man named Jesus, who was a Jewish rabbi and a Jewish prophet, but who was much more than that. He was the very Son of God, who came to the earth to be the Messiah and the Savior, not only to the Jews, but to all those who would trust and believe in His name. And that Jesus had died and given His life as a ransom for our sins and resurrected from the grave, offering eternal life and hope. So they came with this message about this guy named Jesus, and some of the Jews living in Thessalonica heard this from Paul and believed it. And many Greeks heard this and believed it. And so a gathering such as this of people who were interested in growing and learning about this faith and pursuing it began to gather called the church at Thessalonica. Now, while Paul and his companions were there, some of the Jews that did not like the message stirred up the crowds and ran Paul and his companions out of town at threat to their lives. And so now, of course, we have this letter because Paul and his companions are writing this letter to encourage those Christians, those followers of Jesus living in the the city of Thessalonica, to encourage them in their faith that what they had heard from Paul and what they had heard from Silas and Timothy, that they would continue to grow and develop their faith. Now, really, the first half of this letter and the first five weeks of our message series are all the same theme. How do we grow and develop the faith? How do we hear the words of God? How do we hear about Christ and what he's done for us and have that grow inside of us? See, when Jesus talked about the message of the gospel, when he talked about this idea of God's kingdom, he often used analogies and illustrations that people could understand. And his most popular illustration analogy was that of a seed. And of course, we all know what a seed does. We don't necessarily know how it does it. But a seed is basically this little, if I had a little apple seed in my hand, it would be full of potential. And that that little apple seed is almost nothing, but when you place it in the ground in the right conditions, it begins to grow. And in a few moments, I'm going to show you an illustration. We're going to talk about it. But but I want you to think about this. This little seed goes into the ground, and and it begins to germinate. And then eventually, this little thing comes out of the ground, and you see this little tree developing. And eventually, if it's cared for and nurtured, what does it turn into? A big apple tree that produces a lot of fruit, right? And Jesus says, that's the way faith works. And here at Pathway Church, we believe what Jesus said, that faith grows from something very small to something very large, fruitful. And this is important. It's actually why we called this church Pathway Church. Because we believe that faith isn't just like an in and out. It's not just a like, 
on-off kind of thing. Faith is actually something that we receive and it grows and develops and matures into something that bears fruit for eternal life. It changes us. And so we understand that. So Pathway Church is all about taking a step. And so no matter where you find yourself, you're maybe here today and you're like, I don't have a faith. That's great. You're in the right place. Because we want this to be a place where you can take the first step or the second step or the third or the 500th step. And so each and every one of us, we desire that we would grow toward maturity in the faith. So uh, let me show you this little image that I've got. Um, this is, the, of course, the pro progression of a seed, you know, an apple seed into an apple tree. And if you took grade three or four science, then you've seen this before. But this is a good reminder. It's helpful to see it, okay? So on the far left, you see this little seed that goes into the ground, and it germinates beneath the ground, and it begins to produce something. Something's happening. It's activated, but you can't see it. And in the first chapter, as we were studying this letter, we saw Paul saying, we see God at work in you. We know that you received this message of Jesus, and it, it did something in your heart because something has popped out of the ground. Your behavior started to change. Your life is beginning to change. And you know that that seed has germinated when you see something come out of the ground, right? That's when you see it. Years ago, my wife and I lived in this big farmhouse, just the two of us. And I was walking through the checkout at a store one time, and I saw, you know, the seed section, and they have all the different seeds you can plant in the spring. And I saw a package, and it said banana tree. And I was intrigued. I was like, I want one of those. So I bought these seeds for like $5, and I took them home, and I didn't know what a banana seed would look like, but I remember them being quite large. And I opened the package, and there were these two large seeds. And I read the instructions. It said you had to soak them in water, you know, put some paper towel, and get, the, get them started. And then you put them in the soil. So I did that. I got a big pot. And I put my banana seed in there, and I waited, and I waited. And after a couple of weeks, nothing came out. And I dug up that seed, and nothing had happened. It didn't take. One more seed. So I tried again. I did, followed the rules, and I did all this stuff. And all, I can still remember the day when that green little leaf started to push out to the ground. I was so excited. I'm like, yes. That's what Paul says. He's like, we see that your faith is genuine because we're starting to see something in your life that is the work of God being produced in you. So if you can go back to that image once again. We see something beginning to form. There, there's no apples yet. There's just a little, little stick with a couple branches. And then it grows and it begins to produce branches and more leaves. And eventually those leaves turn into flowers. Another time I thought it would be fun to grow tomatoes in the farmhouse. And so I planted tomato plant seeds. And it grew into a little tomato plant. I was so excited and I fertilized it and it grew really big. It took up the whole windowsill. Produced all these flowers. But no tomatoes. Because apparently you need another tomato plant and some beets to kind of do this cross-pollination thing. So it, that didn't work either. Okay, so we got lots to learn about seeds and flowers. So it produces flowers. And then there's this process of cross-pollination. And eventually you get this mature tree that's producing fruit that produces something amazing that we can enjoy. And it reproduces itself, right? So we all understand this? You guys say yes? Yes, you understand this process. Okay, this is what Jesus uses as an analogy for our faith. So this is the way faith works. It starts out full of potential. The word of God, the message of the gospel, it's like this potential seed. And when it lands in a heart that is right and prepared, it begins to produce eternal life. It begins to produce transformation. It begins to produce love and generosity and forgiveness and all of that. So today what I want to do as we continue in the second chapter is I want to share with you three keys Sorry, there's not four. Last couple weeks I've had four points, but today I got three. Three keys uh, to growing your faith. Three keys. So these are three things, and before I share them with you, I need you to know 
These apply to everyone. They apply to everyone. I don't care if it's your first day of faith. Maybe today's the day when you say, I trust Jesus with my life, and that seed goes into your heart. Day one, or I don't care if you're a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a seminary professor, or the Pope himself. These three things apply to every one of us because none of us has arrived. We want to move towards fruitfulness. And in order to do that, there are three things that we must do from the beginning to the end, and we should not stop doing them. That's what I want to share with you today from the text. Here's the first thing we need to do. It's going to blow you away. Point number one, stay humble. (laughs) Stay humble. Here's the text. Chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, I want you to picture that, that message that they brought to the Thessalonians went into their hearts. They received it, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. How many of you know that hearing and receiving are not the same thing? All right? If you're in a relationship, you're talking to somebody, you're pouring your heart out, and they're sitting there going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you might say, you're not listening to me. And they say, oh, sure I am. And they start regurgitating all the facts that you've been saying. Oh, yeah, you said this, and you said something about that person hurt your feelings, whatever. And it's like, no, no, you, you heard the message, but you didn't receive it. When you receive something, you allow it in past the gates. It goes into your heart. It goes into your mind. And the scripture is very clear about this. It's not about hearing the word. It's about receiving it. Jesus said, whoever hears my words and what? Does them. His brother James would later write that we must, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. All right? You have to understand that it's not the same thing. Like, I don't care how many Bible verses you know, it's how many verses you do. It's how many verses get into your... So when we, when we study the Bible and we read about God's truths, His laws, the examples in Scripture, all of that is extremely helpful. They're like seeds. And there's potential for transformation and life change in that word. But unless that word gets planted, like a seed that isn't planted isn't much use. I mean, you could eat it. There might be a few calories in there. It might be some essential oils or something. Okay? You can eat your seeds, but it's way better if you plant them, right? Like, you could have buckets of seeds. I have corn seeds, and I have pea seeds, and I have carrot seeds, and I have banana tree seeds. And you've got all these amazing seeds, but they're, they're worthless, essentially, until you plant them in the ground and nurture them. And then all of a sudden, it produces this amazing harvest of more than you need. And in the same way, we, we shouldn't just hear the word. We need to receive it. And here's the thing. You can't receive something without humility. That's just the bottom line. You can't receive anything without humility. Humility is the key. You know, um, I'm guessing that anybody in this room who is following Jesus and who has surrendered their life to God began that process. That seed went into your heart through a process of humility. So at some point you said, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I'm unable, I don't have the strength, I can't do. So I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. That is humility. And it is a humble heart in which the seed of salvation and the message of the gospel goes into a person's heart. So here's the question. If the Christian faith begins with a humble heart, what makes you think that you and I can grow to maturity without continuing to grow and nurture a humble heart, right? You with me? So so we have to stay humble. Now here's another reason why Paul... And his companions say, listen, you heard us, we came to you and preached, 
and you listened to what we said and received it as if it was coming from God himself. That also takes humility. You see, I've, I've taught this many times before. I'll keep teaching it. God will speak to us in many ways. You can open the Bible and you can read the Bible and God will speak to your heart. He'll speak to your mind. That's probably the number one way he'll speak to you. Um, you can pray. God might speak to you. might encourage you. He'll use your conscience. But often, one of the ways that God will speak to us is through other people. And I find that's the most difficult way to hear from God. See, because I can open the Bible and it says, be kind one to another. And I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm going to try to be kind today. But if I'm angry at my kids and cross in line and my wife turns to me and she's like, you need to be kind. That's coming from God, folks. But I'm thinking to myself, how dare you? Get out of my way. I've got this. And it's easy to hear when we're reading the Bible in our private little prayer time. But then when someone, a friend, a leader calls us out and says, this is what I think God's saying to you. It's like, whoa, how dare you, right? It takes humility to receive the word of God. I've also discovered this, that most of us, when we start our faith journey, many of us, our lives were somewhat a mess. Now, maybe your life was pretty together, but inside you were just like, man, I, I, I just, man, my priorities are wrong, and you know, my desires are wrong, and you know, my lifestyle might be wrong, and you're like, all these things that need to be fixed, and you're going to God, and you're like, God, would you fix me? And then fast forward 10 years of hard work and faithfulness, your finances are in good shape, your marriage or your relationships are in good shape, you know, you're doing good things. A lot of the sins that were holding you back, things you were struggling with, you've kind of conquered those things. And you're just like looking around going, hey, compared to 99% of people, I'm actually a saint. And that, that, that humility in which we came to God to be like, God, would you save me, help me, strengthen me? It's like, no, no, I got this. So it actually takes work to stay humble as we progress in our faith, right? It would be that apple tree just like, look at how fruitful I am. Humble. Because unless we have humility, we can't draw from God what we need to continue to move forward and to progress in our faith. This is making sense? So number one, we're going to stay, stay humble. And I guess the question would be this. Um, what's the current condition of your heart? You know, uh, my banana tree started to wilt and die. You know what I had to do? I had to repot it. <laughs> I had to get some fresh soil. I had to do some work around the roots in order to help it to continue to grow. By the way, it never grew bananas, so I don't know. I do not have a green thumb, but I tried, okay? But maybe there are times along our journey of faith where we have to stop and go, okay, my soil is getting a little acidic, you know? I've let bitterness get in here. There's some stuff going on in me, and, and you need to stop. And in humility, ask God to begin to work that out so that you can continue to move forward. That makes sense, okay. So point number one, what is it? Stay humble, humility. Here's the second thing. You're going to love this one. Expect opposition. You're like, what? Expect opposition. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy portion of the text here, and then we'll swing back and talk about some of the themes and ideas behind this. But here's, here's how Paul puts it. He says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So in Jerusalem, where, where Jesus was, the church began to grow and then people went out from there and began to share this message throughout the Roman Empire. But he says, hey, just like the churches in Jerusalem are being persecuted and they're having all kinds of opposition, he says, you've suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. This is not a surprise to us. There's, there's trouble brewing. He says, from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Speaking of 
some of the political things that were going on for the Jewish nation at the time. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, they were torn away because they were run out of town by angry Jews. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, he's like, I kept wanted to make arrangements. I wanted to come to Thessalonica. I wanted to come encourage you. And he says, but Satan hindered us. Expect opposition. And I find it fascinating that Paul, and I wanted to get here because I want you to see that Paul's saying, okay, we've had all this opposition and you're experiencing opposition. And he gets to the bottom line and says, actually, there is actually an individual behind all of the opposition we're facing. His name is Satan. Now, I don't think for one second that Satan actually like showed up on the road to Thessalonica, you know, red suit, pointy tail, pitchfork thing, like, get back, no. Like, there wasn't the, it wasn't this direct confrontation. Historically, we know that Paul couldn't go there because of political situations, because of angry Jews trying to kill him. There was like all of these things going on. And he says, in spite of what's going on politically, in spite of what's going on with these people trying to kill me, underneath it all is Satan. And Satan is the enemy of God and the enemy of God's work, and he wants to destroy and kill and steal and devour everything that God plants and is doing in our lives. Think that's fair? I know it's kind of abstract, but we're going to get less abstract as we move forward. We have to expect opposition. Sometimes people come to church and they hear about Jesus, and it's like, if you follow Jesus, your life will be perfect. That's not true. Jesus is like, expect trouble. I'm perfect, and people are trying to kill me. What do you think they're going to do with you? He tells his disciples, like, it's coming. And then now Paul's writing, is like, hey, you're experiencing the same thing they experienced there. Expect opposition. It's natural. Because if God is doing something in you, of course there's going to be opposition to that. Think about it. Let's go back to the garden. If you can go back to my garden image. Uh, when you plant something in a garden, you plant a seed, you want to grow a tree. You know intuitively, because you've tried to grow something, there's going to be opposition to that thing taking root and becoming a mature tree, right? There's going to be all kinds of opposition. You don't just put a seed in the ground, walk away, and then everything works. There's all kinds of things that have to happen. There's a number of types of opposition. Here's the first one. We get uh, nature. Now, you should know this. If your plant is overexposed to the sun, it might die. If it doesn't get enough sun, it might die. If it doesn't get enough water and there's no rain, your plant will die, right? Uh, the wind can blow your plant, <laughs> uproot your plant. Like there, Nature itself will take out the plant if you're not careful protecting it, putting it in the right spot, etc. So nature is one of those oppositions. And then we have negligence, right? One time when I was a kid, there was somebody had a, a garden, flower garden. They had planted all these perennials. They were under the ground still. And I just thought it was dirt, and I walked through it. And they were so mad. I can remember them being so mad because I destroyed their special azaleas or whatever they were. I had no idea. It was just pure negligence, right? Or if you plant a bunch of things in your garden and you don't go out there and weed it, guess what happens? The weeds grow up because of negligence and choke out the plants, steal the nutrients from the soil, the sunlight, etc. right? So nature, take you out. It'll take your faith out. Negligence. What else? Predators. Your neighbor does not like your apple tree. Uh, he's, he's cutting branches down with his chainsaw. There's raccoons. You gotta love raccoons and critters that come and steal stuff out of your garden. So there are predators, there's those that are seeking to devour what God has planted in your life. So you understand that this is true about gardens, and this is also true about our faith. There will be opposition, and we need to be aware of it. We need to understand that what God is trying to work in us, Satan, through various means, will try to snuff it out. 
will try to destroy the work before it takes root and produces any kind of fruit. So let's talk about these. Nature. How does this apply to our lives? Well, life will oppose you. You know this? And it's because we live in a fallen world. So your body will get sick. Right? People will die. Old age happens. Arthritis happens. Natural disasters happen. Tornadoes happen. You say, why? Because we live in a fallen world. The world is broken. It's broken with sin. And people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Easy. We live in a broken, fallen world. And someone might say, well, then why doesn't God fix the broken, fallen world? And the theological answer, well, this is the simple version, he's going to. We're literally waiting for him to return and to do that very thing. But while we're waiting, we're actually waiting in a fallen world. Like things break. Things don't always work the way they ought to. And that's a reality. The second reason, if you can throw that back up, is negligence. Okay? And the negligence is fallen people. Right? How many of us have suffered because our parents didn't do what they were supposed to do? Or a friend betrayed us? Or the company, you know, broke the law and shut down and we lost our jobs? So... People not doing what they're supposed to do, being neglectful, causes all kinds of harm. Would you agree? And Satan will use that too. Then, of course, lastly, we have predators. And I was trying to find a word that started with N, but I couldn't. So predators. And predators are those specifically that are, that are seeking to snuff you out. And I honestly think that there are way less of those than we might imagine. Like sometimes people hurt us and it's because of neglect or because of their own faulty, fallen agenda, and we just assume they're out to destroy us. Um, but there are predators. Certainly Satan would like to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are some people uh, in our lives that would seek to do that. And Satan will work through all of these different means. Is this making sense? Is this helping anybody? Super encouraging, right? You need to go home and be like, oh, I just heard the most amazing message of all the ways Satan's going to attack me and destroy my life and steal my faith. <laughs> but we have to be aware. We have to expect it, right? Today's Super Bowl Sunday. So let me use a football analogy for a second. If you didn't know anything about football and you walked out on the field at the Super Bowl and someone said, hey, you're in the game and handed you the football and you didn't know and you weren't expecting opposition, three massive men would tear your head off and steal the ball and you'd be laying on the ground and being like, why God? Why did this happen? I don't understand why everyone wants to kill me. Why are they all after me? And it's like, no, you don't understand. That's what they do. And you're supposed to expect it and run the other way. And if they're too big, you run right out the sidelines. Protect your head, right? Like, you wouldn't play football and not expect opposition. So, again, these three types of opposition are also going to be uh, present in football because these are principles. They apply to everything. So, in football, you're going to try to run down the field to the other line to score points. And the way you do that, guess what? You have to resist gravity. Gravity's trying to pull you to the ground. So, you're using your muscles to overcome the nature of gravity. Maybe the ground's slippery. There's sleet or rain on the ground. And so, you're in the wet. You're overcoming nature, trying to get down the field. And if that's not enough, there's going to be negligence. Your own player is going to run out of sequence and get in front of you, right? Or someone's not going to, not going to, not going to, uh, they're going to miss their assignment and let somebody through the block. And all of a sudden, now you've got all these predators coming after you. And the entire other team in the other color are the predators. And they're trying to take you out. But one of the things that always amazed me about sport is how in a sport, uh, the two teams, whether it's hockey, football, whatever, they're literally like trying to kill each other during the game. And the moment the whistle blows or the horn goes or the, the signal's the end of the match, they hug and they shake hands, good game, well fought. 
And what you understand is that that person on the other side in the other color is not actually the enemy. They have a different agenda than you do. They're trying to get that ball from you and get it to your end of the field. And you're trying to get it there. So you got two agendas clashing, right? You have to understand this, right? And sometimes I think we mistakenly, uh, we mistakenly, I hope this makes sense. Sometimes we, we mistakenly run into people who have agendas that are different than ours. And we peg them as predators. Does that make sense? Now, there are predators. I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm saying sometimes we misjudge and relationships are broken down because we don't understand. James talks about this in the third chapter of his letter, about how we all have our own envy and selfishness and pride, and, and fights and quarrels come from us clashing agendas, clashing agendas. And so there's going to be all this opposition. I don't care whether you're growing a plant or whether you're playing football. Expect opposition. Now, I want to add something to that statement before we move on to the third one, and that's this. Expect opposition from within. Let's talk about where opposition will come from in your life. This may surprise you, but look at what Paul said. We read it earlier. He says, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did. So the Jews in Jerusalem were being attacked by their own people. And the Greeks in Thessalonica, they weren't being attacked by Jews. They were being attacked by Greeks who didn't like them. It's always your own people. The greatest threat to this church community is not some group of atheists living in our city. It's not Muslims, right? It's not some anti-religious group. The greatest threat to this church and the health of this church is actually angry, bitter Christians within our community turning on one another. The greatest threat to your marriage, if you're married, is not some girl in a miniskirt with nice legs. And it's not some guy with abs and a, who listens well. <laughs> it's not. That's not the threat. The greatest threat, to, the greatest threat to your health of your marriage is actually bitterness, resentment unforgiveness, selfishness, ambition, like it's, it's those things. And, and this is true, right? Like Satan will often target us where we're weak. That's why we need people around us to call us out. We need people to support us, to talk to. Talked about that last week, right? That's why you got to stay humble because we all have weaknesses. We don't tell everybody about them at church, but we all have weaknesses and we need people we trust and we need the humility have people call us out and encourage us in it, right? Because Satan will try to get us where we're weak. A lot of the problems start right here, if we're honest. And we're always looking out there and like, oh, that person was mean to me, and that person said that about me, and this happened, and this, the church wasn't very helpful, and the government's the problem. The problems are all out there, but in reality, Satan will try to work from within, and he'll use the people that are closest to you. It's always amazing to me, because... Um, if Satan really wants to discourage you, he's not going to send some random person you don't know to say something discouraging. It's going to be somebody you trust, isn't it? There's a, there's a law enforcement term uh, that's called this, inside job. Anybody ever heard of that? I get a little definition. Inside job is a crime committed by or with the assistance of a person living or working on the premises where it occurred, right? And much of what Satan would do to discourage the growth of our faith, the growth of our love, to destroy our families, our relationships, our church, is actually going to be an inside job. It's the most effective way to commit a crime, to destroy something, is to have somebody working on the inside, and that's exactly what Satan would want to do. So we've got to expect opposition. Does this make sense? You've just got to be ready. Like, if you're holding the football, God has put something in your heart. It's like, okay. You're ready. You're moving this thing down the field. You're prepared. Jesus said, be prepared for it. Paul's like, be prepared. This isn't unusual. There will be opposition because what God is doing in you is so valuable. It's eternal. 
And Satan would do whatever he could to knock it out of your life. There's, there's one example I won't spend much time on um, where, wow, the time is flying, um, where Jesus tells his closest friends, he says, I have to die now. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but Peter, one of his closest friends, turns to him and he's like, no, no, that can't happen to you. And some of you know the story. Jesus turns to Peter, one of his closest friends, and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't think for one second that Satan grabbed Peter's mouth and was like, no, you can't do that. Like, there was none of that. Peter had an agenda. You need to become king, and I need to be your right-hand man, and we're going to rule over Israel and the world, and it's going to be amazing. And Jesus is like, no, actually, I'm going to die. And that ruins Peter's agenda, so he's actually speaking from his own agenda, and Jesus recognizes that as an attack from Satan. He's like, actually, you're trying to get me off of God's agenda for my life, and that's what Satan does, and he calls it out, but here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't demonize Peter. And sometimes, again, when people oppose us, we we think they're the devil, and often they just have their own agenda. So, be prepared. Expect opposition. Where's it coming from? Within. It's going to come from inside you, inside your inner circle. It's going to come from those closest to you. Point number three. Here's the third thing we have to do to continue to move our faith forward. Focus on what is eternal. Here's how uh, Paul ends the chapter. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? He says, Jesus is returning soon. And we want to be ready for that. You know, we're fighting the good fight. We're we're battling through. We're being being opposed at every turn. But we're continuing to to grow the ministry, continuing to love people. And we know Jesus is coming soon. And like, what are we going to give to Jesus when this king returns? What are we going to give him? That's a great question. Look at his answer. Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Don't miss this. Paul and Silas tell us something about what has eternal value. Because when an eternal king returns to the thirst, he's looking for things that are eternal, not temporal, right? So when Jesus returns, not one of us is going to stand before him and be like, look at my bank account. <laughs> That's amazing. Look at my real estate portfolio. Look at my education. Look at all the things I've accomplished. You won't even be standing there going, look at all the good things I did for the community. We're going to present him something. Paul says, what we're going to present, Jesus, is you, the Thessalonians. Because if you want to know what's eternal, just look around the room. This gym is very helpful. I'm glad we could meet here this morning. This gym is not eternal. It'll get torn down someday. The chairs you're sitting on, even the church, pathway church, the organization, the structure, none of that's eternal. Do you know what's eternal? Look around the people sitting in this room. The people in this room are eternal. The people you go to work with every day are eternal. They're going to spend eternity somewhere, right? The kids you go to school with, they're eternal. All this other stuff, I don't know. People ask me, will my dog be there? I don't know. Will my cat be there? Probably not. That's just it's a guess. And some of you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know, but I know that what God cares about is people created in his own image and likeness. That's why he died. He died for you. He died for me. He died for people. And at the end of the day, in all of our acquiring, in all of our achieving, in all of our good things, it, it should be people. You, you never, you've heard the adage, you, you, you never see a U-Haul truck behind a hearse. Like none of the stuff we accumulate in this life goes with us. Do you know what goes with us? People. The people's lives we've touched, ministered to, shared the faith with, loved on, encouraged. That goes with us into eternity because that's what matters. And, and here's a question, and I'll close with this idea. 
if the most important thing, if the eternal thing that we would carry into eternity with us would be the people around us, what do you think Satan's number one objective would be for us? To destroy our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our small groups, our church community. And how will he do it? It's an inside job. He'll do it when we don't have humility, when we don't expect people to hurt us and we get all offended and we won't forgive and people have their own agendas and all those agendas are clashing and it drives a wedge into everything. Jesus, before he died, said to his friends, he said, Satan has desired Peter to sift you like wheat, to shake you till your faith is no longer, but I've prayed for you. And before Jesus went to the cross, he gathers his disciples around in a huddle and he puts them away, come here guys. And he prays to God. Can you imagine this? Jesus praying for his disciples. What an amazing moment. And you know what he prays for them? That they would have unity. Because he knew if Satan could come in and divide all the disciples and have discord within the early church, none of us would be here today and this morning. That unless there was enough love and enough humility within that inner group to serve one another like the least of these and to love one another like Christ had loved them, that none of this would be possible. That the message would die right there in the first century. And he prays for unity. So today, as we close, here's, here's what I want to encourage you. What God has begun in you, and maybe today's the first day, maybe that seed is just taking root. Maybe you're a big oak tree. Wherever you are in the journey of faith, these three things. Stay humble. Stay humble, stay humble, stay humble. Number two, expect opposition. You shouldn't be surprised when someone talks bad about you. You shouldn't be surprised when a Christian does something to harm you. You shouldn't. Because you, you know, I've just told you it's going to happen. So you shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. You should be prepared. And lastly, that we would focus on what is eternal. We'd focus on what is eternal. And so today I want to pray, and, and I hope that for each of us as we kind of progress through this letter, that these things continue. See, the seed, the miracle of the seed and the fruit that it produces is all God. You can't produce new life eternal life, forgiveness, salvation. You can't do any of that for yourself. God does it in us. He puts the seed, the miracle happens. God causes the growth. Our part is to stay humble. Our part is to expect and prepare for opposition. Our part is to keep our, our minds focused on what is eternal, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things be added. See, there's God's part and our part. And so I want to encourage each and every one of us to, as we leave this place today, be like, hey, this is good news. God's doing something in me. That's okay. So I got to stay humble. I got to tend my soil. I got to expect opposition and keep my eyes where they need to be focused, and God will take care of the rest. Make sense? Father, this morning as we uh, close our service, I pray through these words of Paul, may we be encouraged, Lord, that, hey, difficulty will come. People will hurt us. Life will throw what it will throw at us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to have our hope firmly set in you. Lord, even when opposition comes, Lord, may we know that you have our back, that there are people in our lives that we can trust. Lord, help us to be humble and quick to forgive, quick to love. God, as you continue to do your work in us individually, as each of us grows and progresses in our faith, may this church become an oasis of life and fruit that gives to our community and to all those who come to this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.